Well, church family, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, And before we take the time to open up the word of God this morning, let's go ahead and bow once more so we commit our time to him. Gracious Father, uh, we uh, want to resound uh, with a hearty amen that in Christ alone uh, our hope is found, Uh, that he is the cornerstone. Uh, He is the one upon which our uh, spiritual life is founded. Uh, He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, And so, Father, as uh, we take the time this morning to continue uh, this journey through Ephesians, as we take a look at chapter 2, Lord, as some uh, pretty profound truths will be uh, shown to us today uh, from your word uh, that upon first glance may not seem like much, but uh, when we consider the uh, ramifications and the magnitude of what is communicated, uh, what a joy it is to know that by the blood of Jesus uh, we are saved Uh, And by the blood of Jesus, we are brought together uh, as one, uh, one family of God. And so, Father, we thank you for those truths, and we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Pastor Caden has already uh, read our text for today, uh, so you should be there in Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue working our way through the book of Ephesians. Uh, and uh, we're going to see another transition here in this uh, second half of chapter 2 um, as we took a look at the first half, which, you know, the first three verses spoke to being dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, verses 4 to 6 talk about us being made alive in Christ. Uh, and verses uh, 7 through 10 gave us a, uh, a reason for that, uh, so that in the ages coming, Uh, people will know uh, that salvation is in Christ to show those immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, And so that is the foundation. That is our our preface, um, our context of uh, the next section, which will take us through the end of chapter 2, which will be uh, three sermons, uh, today being the first, uh, as we consider being one in Christ. And so let's go ahead and take a look at verse 11 there of chapter 2 as we speak to uh, this very first, uh, what I am going to call um, ethnic uh, separation, Uh, because the title of my sermon today is Once Separated, But Now in Christ Brought Near. Um, For us to begin to understand uh, everything that is taking place for Paul to be pinning these words Uh, to the the saints that are in Ephesus for them to better understand what has taken place, Uh, knowing full well that there was even division uh, in Paul's day. Um, For there to be any type of separation, uh, all we have to do is have people disagree about something. Uh, We can see all kinds of separations even uh, in our culture today. Uh, And so Paul wants to show that in Christ something happens that erases all of those separations, that takes care of all those separations, uh, because we are all brought near by the blood of Christ. And so verse 11 there says, therefore, so since we know everything that happened in those those first uh, 10 verses, which we just uh, spoke of, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision Uh, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So uh, to better understand this, uh, as uh, a Jew in, uh, you know, Paul's day, 
there was very much uh, a, uh, a disdain and animosity towards those that were Gentiles, every non-Jew. Uh, and uh, they actually called them the uncircumcision. Uh, because, as we'll find here in a few moments, uh, God t- took uh, and had circumcision as an actual physical sign to separate out his chosen people, Israel, from the rest of the nations of the world. Uh, and so uh, Paul is saying to remember, as he's speaking to this uh, audience, as many will be uh, Gentiles, uh, that uh, in the flesh they were once called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Uh, and the interesting thing here is, is Paul is laying this out. Uh, it's almost uh, a, a derogatory statement, uh, because as we're going to find, uh, what, for many Jews in Paul's day, it was all about that sign of circumcision, that physical outward act that made them part of God's family. And what Paul is going to point out to them is that actually, Circumcision and uncircumcision does not matter. It's actually a circumcision of the heart that God is looking for. So let us uh, better understand uh, so that we know the history here uh, of uh, why uh, Paul is even bringing this forth. And so uh, you can keep your finger here in Ephesians chapter 2, but we're going to be going to some Old Testament passages this morning. Uh, because you need to see that God chose the nation of Israel to be a very uh, particular people for himself. Uh, and that takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, as we take a look at verses 6 through 8. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and I'll begin reading in verse 6. And this is God speaking about the nation of Israel. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So we need to understand, uh, as we we consider the nation of Israel and as we consider everyone that is not a a Jew by birth, that is not uh, Jewish but Gentile, is that God chose the nation of Israel out of all the nations of the world to bless. Uh, And he did many miraculous things that set them apart, circumcision being one of those, Uh, as a physical sign, but also everything that God did in relation to caring for and leading the children of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that the children of Israel always did those things which honored God, because as we read our Old Testament, we find very quickly that, uh, like many of us today, they are a stubborn people. Uh, They did things that were contrary to God, did not love the Lord their God with all their heart all the time. Uh, And I think that's really something as we even look at ourselves today, we can see that uh, we oftentimes struggle with that same uh, calling to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. But see, God chose the nation of Israel to be a distinct people from the rest of the nations around them. He separated them out. Uh, because he was going to show his power, he was going to show his love, he was going to show his kindness toward them 
as actually a witness to the rest of the nations of the world. Um, so it wasn't just separating them out so that they could be removed and, and not have an impact on the rest of the world. Actually, to the contrary, because God was using the nation of Israel to show himself to them so that they would show God to the rest of the world. Um, and actually in the coming of the Messiah himself, uh, which brings us to Isaiah chapter 42, uh, starting in verse 6, where it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. See, so God had an overall plan for the nation of Israel, that they were going to be a light, as it says here, to the nations. So it wasn't that you know God was showing his blessing upon the nation of Israel and then forgetting the rest of the world that was non-Jewish. Actually, to the contrary, God was using the nation of Israel to show himself to the rest of the world so that through their testimony, through their love for God, for their separation out and commitment to God, that it would open the eyes that are blind, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Which when you think about it, that's exactly what Paul even referenced in Ephesians chapter 2 at the beginning. Because we were once in darkness. Uh, we did not like anything that pertained to the light. And it wasn't until uh, we heard the gospel good news of salvation through Jesus Christ that God began that good work uh, in our hearts and our minds to help us uh, no longer love the darkness, but rather love the light. To take us out of that dungeon as prisoners so that our eyes could see the one true God. Uh, and God used Israel uh, for that distinct purpose. Which takes us even farther back for you to better understand. You know, in Deuteronomy, it talks about keeping the oath that I swore to your fathers. It takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Um, because Genesis chapter 12 shows us where God actually called Abram out uh, as he began that good work. Uh, and, and it says there in verses 1 to 3 of Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will, uh, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I want you to notice, I don't know if you noticed back in Deuteronomy, but you know, God is, is taking the, the forward role in all of this. This wasn't Abram you know, looking to God. This was God looking down to Abram because he says, I will do these things. Um, it wasn't something that Abram was going to do. And even as God chose Israel out of all the peoples of the earth, um, it was God who chose. It was God who set his love upon them uh, because it is based in who God is. And when God makes a promise, God keeps that promise. And as a sign of this, you know, I will uh, give you a land, I will make you a great nation, and I will, through you, bless all of the other nations of the earth. Um, a couple chapters later in Genesis chapter 17, um, God reiterates this covenant that he has made with Abram in verses 10 and 11. 
He says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so right here in you know, the, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis itself, we see God calling Abram out. Uh, and leading him to a land, uh, you know, leading him uh, so that he would become a great nation, leading him so that he would be, you know, the, the father that would actually, through him, bless all the nations, uh, because it would be through him that the Messiah would come. And so circumcision was that sign. It was a physical sign to show that separation, but as I said uh, a few moments earlier, uh, and you know, this is one of those things as we, we consider uh, any uh, you know, separation or anything that uh, can cause us to, to not like or love someone else, uh, it, it is actually true that this, this is what happens when uh, we focus on one aspect of something or another. Uh, and as I said earlier, there, there was a disregard or even a disdain for every Gentile. Uh, and the reason I know that is, you know, just I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, as the, the nation of Israel, you, you remember uh, David as he stood before Goliath. Um, I, I, you know, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, um, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So right here we can see you know, David even calling out Goliath as a Gentile, saying that he is uncircumcised. Uh, as someone who is not part of Israel, that does not have that physical sign that shows that he belongs to God. Uh, another instance is actually in Jonah, uh, chapter 4. You remember uh, the account of Jonah, uh, and God uh, had called Jonah to be his prophet, uh, and he called him to go to the town of Nineveh, which was a Gentile town. Uh, and what did Jonah say? Oh, God, that's the very thing I want to do. I was always wanting to go to, to the Gentile city of Nineveh. No, he went the complete opposite direction. Uh, and this is the account right here in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Um, it, you know, God actually getting ready to show his grace upon these Gentile people. This is Jonah's reaction uh, as uh, an Israelite. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. And notice this. For I knew. So this is something he knew. He, had, he, he was convinced of thoroughly. And you know, there was such a disdain for non-Jews those that were Gentiles, that this is what he says. He says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So even Jonah, as God's prophet, as his mouthpiece to communicate God's truth to God's people, but also, again, remember that Israel was not meant to be separated out you know, from the rest of the world so they had no impact whatsoever, 
They were actually there as a light to the Gentiles. And so what did Jonah do? Uh, he, he allowed his anger to get the best of him. And, you know, when we allow, you know, our, our prejudices, our anger to get the best of us, then we end up doing the very opposite of what God tells us to do. Uh, and this is important as we lay this foundation because we're going to see something, you know, take place. Uh, a matter of fact, in this section of verses, we're going to see that word but again uh, because, you know, God has done something that takes even an ethnic separation and dissolves it. Uh, you know, not that he takes someone who's a Jew and makes them not a Jew any longer or someone who's a Gentile and doesn't make them or makes them not a Gentile anymore, you know. But in Christ, something happens that, you know, makes it possible for there to not be a separation at all. Which brings me to the second point. Because not only was there an ethnic separation, as he talked about this separation of the uncircumcised from the circumcised, there was also a spiritual separation, which we find in verse 12. And we uh, read this, and again, you'll see this starts out just like verse 11, is to remember. Because it's important for us to remember who we were so that we can appreciate who we are now. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of prom- or covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul was communicating a truth, is that as uh, we take a look at the Gentiles, everyone that was a non-Jew, that they were outsiders, foreigners, non-native, and strangers to God. Because they did not uh, know God, did not know his ways, were not given a law like the, the Israelites were given. And so if you notice there in verse 12, there's actually five uh, aspects of this spiritual separation so that you can understand what Christ accomplished by his blood on Calvary because there was an actual spiritual separation. First, it says they were separated from Christ. See, Gentiles were not looking for the coming Messiah. They had no hope of a Messiah. They didn't even know that there was any need of salvation whatsoever. Uh, They were separated from Christ completely uh, because they didn't know that they were sinners, because they didn't uh, receive God's law as the Israelites did. That doesn't mean that God was not going to use that same law as judgment on all the nations because it's God's law, but it was specifically given to the children of Israel uh, as a a testimony to the fact that they were uh, God's special people set apart to be holy before him. But see, the Gentiles weren't looking for a Messiah, and they did not know uh, God's law or their need of a Savior. So they were separated from Christ. Second, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. See, there was no other nation on the planet that enjoyed what Israel was given from God Almighty. They were his special people. He did things for them that showed uh, his love and his kindness uh, towards them as a a people. 
because God chose them out of all the nations, not because there was something there to choose that separated them out from the rest of the nations, but it was because of God's love that he chose them out. See, Israel lived under a theocracy. That means that uh, God truly was king and lord over the nation of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the nation of Israel, you know, accepted that as a full reality because we know that instead of, you know, looking to God as their king and lord, they wanted earthly kings like all the rest of the nations around them. But it didn't change the fact that they lived under a theocracy because God chose them out. And, and the children of Israel were God's special chosen people. See, the Gentiles had no direct purpose when it came to what God had planned to do in and through the nation of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't use the Gentiles because we know as we read the Old Testament that he did. Matter of fact, he used Gentile nations to judge Israel when they were walking away from God to uh, once again bring the nation of Israel back to him for him to, to love them and for them to be his special people. And we know as we read in Psalm 147.20, uh, speaking about God, it says, He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. That's because Israel was special to God. He chose them out. He gave them uh, the Ten Commandments as uh, God's rule of law for them. They lived under a theocracy. And so as a Gentile, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that Gentiles did not end up becoming, you know, uh, you know a uh, part of Judaism as someone who would be circumcised and be a part of it. But it wasn't the, you know, it would be more the exception than it would be uh, the rule. So they were separated from Christ, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and third, they were strangers to the covenant promises. See, Gentiles did not know and were not beneficiaries, and we're not going to take the time to look at the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenants, because they were between God and his special people, the children of Israel, including the coming promised Messiah. Again, so that separated out the Gentiles because they did not know that uh, of any of these covenants or were not beneficiaries of them. So they were strangers to the covenant promises. And fourth, they were those who have no hope. Because Gentiles did not know God, they had no hope in life or what was yet to come. Live today, for tomorrow you may die. Everything was about what they wanted in life. Um, they had no hope because, you know what, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, so I should live however I want to today. You know, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, is, uh, Paul is encouraging the believers there, not wanting them to be uninformed. He says, uh, concerning those who have died uh, as believers in Christ, uh, he says that you may not grieve as others uh, who do not have hope. See, one of the hardest things is to do a funeral for an unbeliever. Because the family wants to be encouraged. They want to, to believe that their loved one is in a better place. But in reality, they are without hope. 
But see, for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, there is hope. Not hopeful thinking, but assured hope that just as Christ was raised from the dead, that he would raise us from the dead so that we would be with him for eternity. And in the book of Joshua, chapter 21, verse 45, um, it says that not one of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Because those covenants were based in who God is. Uh, and as uh, a, a God who is not going to just, you know, uh, walk away from something because he got angry and didn't like things, uh, he keeps his promises. When God promises something, he does it because it's based in his holiness, his righteousness, his faithfulness. So they were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope. And the fifth, probably the, the most sober of all this, without God in the world. To be without God means that one is without hope, without peace, without light, without fulfillment, without life, without purpose, without identity, without joy, without love, without strength, without meaning, without blessing, without anything. Because it goes back to what we know about God and why God created to begin with. He created man in his image, which separates him out from all of the other, you know, creation. He is not like the animals in the animal kingdom because he has an eternal soul. He's created in the image of God, and he's created to worship and glorify God forever. And see, when you remove God from that equation, then what do you have? You have someone who is without hope, peace, light, fulfillment, life, purpose, identity, joy, love, strength, meaning, blessing, or anything. Because we are spiritual beings. And because God is spirit, we worship him in spirit and in truth. To be without God in the world is to be in a hopeless state. And that's why we find, as we look at the world in which we live, those who do not know Christ as Savior live as though there's no God in their life, because there's not. It doesn't mean they can't be morally good people compared to other people that are morally bad. But the thing is, is that they live their existence not knowing where they're going to go when they die, or they're hopeful that they, if there is a heaven, they'll go there. And know this, it says, without God in the world... Gentiles were not godless people. Matter of fact, as you take a look at the Gentile cultures through the, the, the millennia, they worshipped a whole lot of gods, little g. They made a god out of everything. But they didn't know the one true God, the one true God who revealed himself to the children of Israel to call them out, choose them out of all the nations of the world so that he could show his love and his blessing upon them. And Paul, in the book of Romans, as he is considering all that he has in Christ, after talking about God's everlasting love in chapter 8, he says this in chapter 9. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow in unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. 
They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul's heart went out to his kinsmen so much that he wished it could be so that he did not know Christ so that all the rest of his kinsmen would know Christ. To know the power of his salvation, to know the power of his resurrection, to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Because all those things as God's chosen people, all those things that he you know, reminded, that the Israels belonged to them, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, uh, and from their race would come in the flesh God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The thing is, is that they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And so, as you can see here, there is a a stark separation between Jew and Gentile. Jews as God's chosen people, Gentiles as the rest of, you know, mankind. But God, you know, chose the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations of the world. And even though there may have been an ethnic separation because of Jew and Gentile and the, the, you know, the butting of heads that would have happened even in Paul's day, and even though there was a spiritual separation because they were, you know, a Gentile is not a, a Jew. They're not a, you know, a, the children of Israel. So they were spiritually separated with, as it says, without God in the world. And then Paul doesn't end there. Because if you take a look at verse 13, something beautiful is taking place, something that we're supposed to remember as this ethnic and spiritual separation exists, but now in Christ. Notice there in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you, speaking of the Gentiles, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. They're brought near not by keeping the law. They're not brought near by being circumcised. Notice the focus here. What brings them near? Is it an outward physical act of circumcision? Is it by keeping God's law? No. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when Christ died on the cross, when he was buried and when he was raised again on the third day, a transition took place. Because those who once were afar off, those that were Gentiles, non-Jews, those who were uncircumcised, not circumcised, were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the blood of Jesus Christ reconciles, brings together that which was separated. And for Gentiles, that's good news. Because all of the blessing of the coming Messiah is realized in Jesus Christ. And as we you know, continue to consider this, it means that Jews and Gentiles have the blessing of the Messiah. We have the privilege of knowing the one true God. Those who were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope without God in the world. 
we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, um, after, uh, as he's preaching his sermon at Pentecost, um, after the Spirit came on them and, and the people around them thought that they were, you know, drunk um, from wine, you know, delivers a beautiful sermon uh, that shares with the people around them who Jesus really is and that they were eyewitnesses of his resurrection, that he is truly the Son of God, the Messiah who came to save his people from their sins. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, listen to what it says here. Now, when they heard this, so after hearing everything, having Peter connect all the dots that started in Genesis chapter 12, working all the way through to that current day, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, verse 39, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Because what Jesus did is he brought that which was separated together as one. Because Jesus Christ is the uniter. He is the one who is the savior. He is the redeemer. There is no other. And he is the only one that can bring us to the father. And so what was separated by ethnicity, what was separated by, you know, spiritual death has been brought together in Christ. And you notice that the promise is for you, speaking to the Jews there, for your children, so the generations that come because Jesus is the Messiah, and for all who are far off. Well, who's all who are far off? Far, I can't even say it. Far off. The Gentiles. So Jesus brought everyone together. His salvation isn't just for the Jewish people. It's for Gentiles as well, which is a blessing And we are recipients of that very truth and that very reality today. But see, notice this, is that God was looking for a circumcision of the heart. Because you'll notice that when they heard these words and their spirit was moving, that they were cut to the heart. See, it wasn't a circumcision of the flesh. It wasn't an outward physical, you know, know, thing that was done to show that they were part of the children of Israel. They were cut to the very heart. Because that's what the gospel does. It cuts to the very core of who we are. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, uh, this, this idea of uh, the circumcision of the heart is not something new. It actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Because it was never about the circumcision of the flesh that that made them God's people. It was a physical outward sign, but God was concerned with the inside, the spiritual aspect, the, the soul itself. He was looking for a circumcision of the heart. And Paul, in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, shows us 
that something has changed because he says there, for neither circumcision counts for anything. So circumcision would represent those that are Jews, nor uncircumcision, so those that are Gentiles. So neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, catch this, but a new creation. Because that's what God does through Christ. By his blood, your sins are forgiven and taken away. And you who are far off are brought near. But now in Christ. Do you see the good news? This is the second time that Paul has done this. Where he paints this you know, uh, you know, separation here in these verses to say, but now in Christ. In verses 1 to 3, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, following, you know, after the desires of the sinful flesh. Um, And then in in verse, so I don't get it wrong here. (laughs) For, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. See, Paul balances out. He tells us the bad news the news that we don't want to hear, the news that characterizes us, and then all of a sudden says, but God. See, this shows the love of God, but when we think about the cost that was made by the blood of Christ that we are brought near, it also shows us the the justice and the wrath of God on sin. But all for the purpose of bringing together into one family whether Jew or Gentile, those who belong uh, to God through Christ. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, let me begin by asking you a question. Will you be like Jonah, who instead of declaring God's graciousness, steadfast love, forgiveness, expressed anger? Because the thing is, we allow things to, to separate us or cause us to separate ourselves from those who we should be being a light to in this world. You know, it, it's nice to come in the confines of the church uh, because there's not people coming in the doors to take and drag us off. That does happen, though, around the world. We're blessed that we don't have that happening right now. But the thing is, is that we are here for a particular purpose because we are a particular and peculiar people because we've been called out in holiness by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who were far off been brought near so that it doesn't matter whether we are Jew or Greek or Jew or Gentile. The blood of Christ brings us together as one. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11 says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, so as this reality of putting off the old and putting on the new, Because of who we are by the blood of Christ. Here, this is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. 
Jesus Christ, God's son, did the impossible. He brought, he, he took on human flesh, dwelt among us, died on the cross, so that which was separated could be brought together. So that the wrath of God on our sin could be taken care of so that we could be part of the family of God. Amen? Amen. See all those barriers that man erects to try and separate us are taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that the church itself has Jews or Gentiles, may have circumcised or uncircumcised, may have those that are male or female from every ethnic group around the globe because Christ's blood saves them all and erases all those barriers that we would erect as human beings to separate ourselves Christ eradicates them. So there shouldn't be any separation. I love you as a brother in Christ. No matter if you're male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, because you've been bought just like I've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. That's why there's power in the blood, in Christ alone. Everything that you sung moments ago gives testimony to that reality. So do not let culture, do not let mankind separate what Christ brought together by his blood. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you for these truths because only you, can break down the barriers that man erects. And Lord, as we finish through these next uh, two sermons, Lord, we're going to see that uh, even as we take a look at the temple itself, how it separated people groups, genders, apart, that when your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on the cross, that all those barriers, all of those separations are taken down even the one to the holy of holies, because by the blood of Christ we have been brought near. Because we've been bought and paid for, we have been chosen out. That it doesn't matter whether we are Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are in Christ who is in all and is our all. And so, Father, may we remember that. May we live as those who are joined together by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And let not our culture or our idiosyncrasies separate us, but instead bring us close to you. Father, we thank you for these truths today, and we ask that you'd help us to live in light of them. In Jesus' name, amen.